And so begins a new year for Christians with the first Sunday of Advent in the year of our Lord, 2020. The first passage of scripture heard by much of the global church is this prophecy from Isaiah, known as Third Isaiah. He's preaching to those who have recently returned from exile in Babylon and is lamenting what they perceive to be Yahweh's absence. I wonder, in light of our reading from Mark, whether it is possible that they were looking in the wrong place for Yahweh's presence. The passage of Mark with which we are presented today, Mark 13, sometimes known as the Markan Apocalypse, has for much of history, most of history actually, been been understood as being about some future second coming of Christ, about some future uh, mythical day of the Lord when, when the Son of Man would come with, with clouds and great glory. But scholars have recently begun to question whether that is in fact the right way to read this passage. See, Jesus was a prophet, and a prophet is someone who sees what is happening today and calls forth, uh, calls for a change in how we do things if we wish to avoid consequences in the future. I read a sermon once in which it was suggested that a doctor is being prophetic when she tells you you've got to change your diet or uh, change your exercise habits if you wish to avoid a heart attack. Climate scientists are being prophetic when they tell us if we do not change our behaviours and radically and soon we are going to face some very dire consequences indeed throughout the entire earth. So what, what's going on in Mark 13, it is suggested, is that Jesus takes language that would have been familiar to the people he, to whom he's talking, familiar language about end times, es, eschatology, the last things, apocalypse, the unveiling of that which is not seen, and, and instead says... If you don't change your behaviour, if you don't take seriously my first incarnation, if you don't take seriously my first coming and a call away from the ways of violence and to follow the way of the Prince of Peace, then the consequences will be very, very dire. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Destruction will be your end. He might also have been talking about his own personal end, his own death, impending death, and the sense and possibly his, his glorification in the process. So what he's doing is subverting the normal way of reading language about the second coming and saying, in effect, if you don't change your behaviour, you will suffer the consequence. And he was right, because Mark is being written during the first Jewish revolt against Roman rule. It lasted from roughly 66 to 77 or so in the Christian era. And right in the middle of it, Right in the middle of it, in AD 70, Jerusalem is sacked and the temple is destroyed. Scholars argue about whether or not Mark was written before or after the destruction of the temple, with most saying it was written before. But in any event, Jesus was right. If you don't, if you follow the way of violence, armed revolt, you will wind up with very dire consequences. Destruction and death will be all around you. So in effect, perhaps what he's saying is that uh, in, this, in this language, that the Son of Man, the quintessential human, the man of absolute integrity, the fully integrated one, 
who goes to his death, his own death, trusting in Yahweh for life, and, and in the course of that death unveils all of the mechanisms by which we do violence to each other, uh, and he's glorified by God in the process. So what if looking for a second coming, a day of the Lord, at the end of history, the last things, is looking in the wrong place for God to act? Or at least looking in a place that's not immediately having an effect in the present. What if the resurrection is in effect the second coming? What if in, in effect the resurrection is what Jesus is pro prophesying in Mark 13? And if so, then Jesus comes again and again and again every time he breaks into our lives, into our consciousness, into our spirits, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and invites us to follow in the way of life. Our presiding bishop, Michael Curry, has published a book called The Way of Love. It's part memoir, part theology, part apologetics, and part a call to, for, to us to live more deeply, more intentionally, and more generously, even as we love more deeply and love more generously and love more intentionally than before. He talks about how God breaks in to our lives. He tells stories about his own life, about grief, about the importance of community, about being changed by the Holy Spirit in the midst of changing relationships, talks about being pared down by circumstance, which he first considered unfortunate and then found life to be even more rich than he imagined. In just one example, one story, he told about a time when he was rector of St. James's Church in Lafayette Square in Baltimore, and a drug dealer came to see him in his office, and his first response was, was disgust. He'd been trying to do healing work uh, among those affected and afflicted by drugs in the community, but he had never encountered or really thought much about the actual drug dealers. He says, I knew plenty firsthand about the casualties left by drug dealers, but had spent very little time learning about them or their lives other than the sensationalized violent images on television. In all our efforts to impact the drug, to drug culture, talking to the dealers had not occurred to us. We were afraid of them. Well, Eddie, who came to see him, wanted out of the drug culture, something that would likely, uh, potentially, be, be bring about the end of his life. He became a regular visitor to Michael's office, sharing his story, and Michael said the more he came to know Eddie, the harder it became to dislike him. In his own words, he said, Eddie wasn't a drug dealer, he was a person, a child of God like me, and now I was in relationship with him, and the result was love, whether or not I saw it coming, whether or not I even wanted it. In time, their conversations led to Eddie asking to be baptised, even though keeping the promises of baptism could and probably did put his life in jeopardy. Surely, surely this is a story of Jesus coming again, of God breaking in, of Yahweh acting in a way to turn our lives around, to call us away from violence. All of which is to say that when we look for some mighty act of God or second coming of Christ in the future, we may well be looking in the wrong place and missing what is happening in the present. As we begin this new year, 
Let's look for God coming again and again, breaking into our lives in, in ways we can't even imagine at this point, expecting to see Yahweh doing what Yahweh does, making peace, reminding us of the consequences of ignoring the prophets, and of course, as always, working among the downtrodden, the fearful, the brokenhearted, the broken, and above all, the oppressed. Is it possible that those returning exiles all those years ago, lamenting Yahweh's absence, might have seen Yahweh at work in those it was hard to see, among those who it's easy to ignore, even when you've suffered great pain yourself? Perhaps they were looking in the wrong place and maybe Yahweh was present in the land after all. So Happy New Year. Happy New Beginnings. Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again and again and again and often. I offer this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.